If people knew that actually they're more likely to be successful than fail, they're more likely to go for it. And that's the truth. And I cried on the way home because I was, I'm just leaving my dream job. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get this. This for me was... If somebody wants to turn their passion into their career and their life and their living, from your story, it seems like you really do need to... A life back and forth from Iran. This guest's story and plan developed from a pastime she loves. And on one fateful day, must have been destiny at play. Her auntie showed her how to make Persian rugs. I started to control what I was eating and exercise. I lost a lot of weight quite dramatically. But a girlfriend said to me, you've not been right for a while, have you? I said, no, I haven't actually. She said, well, why don't you? One of the best decisions I've ever made, one of the best investments I've made in myself, it changed my life totally, totally, and still continues to do so. Why do you say that? Greetings, I'm Ashley Samuels McKenzie. And I'm Charles Parkinson. And welcome to How I Became. Where we unveil the unscripted journeys of inspirational figures. If you enjoy the show, could you do one thing? Subscribe. Wherever you are, just click the subscribe or follow button. That simple act can help us grow the podcast in a big way. And we need your support to do it. And if you really want to help play a part in our growth, rate us on Spotify or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Uber, shaping the future for consumers as they go anywhere and get anything. Advertising on Uber connects brands with hundreds of millions of people using Uber around the world in the moments that move the most. To learn more about what we can do for your brand, visit uber.com forward slash advertising. Hi, I'm Sonaz Noranvari, and this is how I became founder of House of Sonaz and TV presenter. A life back and forth from Iran. This guest's story and plan developed from a pastime she loves. And on one fateful day, must have been destiny at play, her auntie showed her how to make Persian rugs. This ignited a spark like striked matches in dark. A new passion had formed strong inside her. She made her own loom to make her own rugs and soon it would seem textiles was the thing that excites her. After a motorbike crash, her active life almost crashed until she told the doctors to find a different recovery plan. And as a lover of endurance, and releasing endorphins. After that, she completed the half Iron Man. So now, if you have an item that needs some refreshing, her TV show might be your stop. Introducing Sonaz Nuranvari, founder and upholstery specialist on the BB show Repair Shop. Welcome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. There we go. Your life in a poem. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Captured well. Really lovely. Yeah, really. Thank you. So this is the story. This is the story of how someone finds their passion in life and turns it into their job, like turns it into their, their, like you've turned your passion into your, how you make money. Like right. My living. Your living. Right. That's the word I was mm -hmm. looking for. Um, and I think that's what a, a lot of people in this world would love to do. They've got this thing that yeah. they love, 
but they have to do their job, which mm -hmm. they don't love. And the, the thing that they love is on the weekends, but you've mm -hmm. managed to just, and you really have, we'll tell in your story, you've really focused on making it happen, consciously or not. Mm -hmm. That is what's happened. Right. And you are an entrepreneur. You're a founder. Not just one business. Right. We've got a new business to talk about as well. Just very briefly at the top, tell us about your company, your companies. Yes. So the first company that I, the, the, the company that I uh, left my job to start is um, focused on furniture restoration, bespoke interiors. So from interior design to if you want a specifically sized sofa or stunning window dressings that we make by hand. Wow. Um, Which won't come as a surprise to many viewers who know you from a certain TV show. That's but right. We'll get that's to that. right. Yeah. Um, and then this year towards the end of this year finally we'll launch house of sonas which is um, an interior and sort of product lifestyle range but with a twist Ooh. so starting with upholstered furniture and then moving to other products which all enable you to have a fabulous home um, but we have innovated with uh, a material that nobody else is doing. Ooh. That's very cool. And also yes. we're introducing a scheme that nobody else is doing as well. So I'm, I've had this in my mind, I wanna say decades and I'll tell you about that because that's where sonas.com comes from. Oh. Um, but it's finally coming to fruition. So many teasers in that, but yeah. we will have to wait and find out. <laughs> Follow where, where, what, what are your socials? Follow. So everything is um, at Sonaz underscore or at Sonaz something or other. Um, okay. Easy to find. S O N N A S A Z. A Z. Um, and I registered them all before I was even using social media because oh. I kind of forecast that one day I'd have to be using them. Yeah. Some say manifested. Nice. Um, <laughs> so yes, everything's at Sonas. Okay, so that's what we can find out when this all yes, launches. Yes, yeah, and House of Sonas is at House of Sonas. Okay, and so as I mentioned, some people may know you from a certain BBC. From the repair shop, TV yeah, show. the glor glorious, um, heartwarming, warm cuddle of a show. What is it for anybody who might not know? Explain um, simply. Apart from BBC's most successful factual television program, um, wow. okay. um, yeah, it is. It's it's a program where the UK's specialist restorers and craftspeople come together in one workshop to restore beloved items that have been brought in by various different people, mm. and it might be something that they've inherited or that they had themselves and it shows the story of us restoring it but also them receiving it back what it means to them and their story as well it's very heartwarming they come in they share their their, yeah. their item That's they right. share the backstory you yeah. just get engrossed in this mm. emotion of this story mm -hmm. um which is ironic is what we're doing today really right it's, it's telling your story mm. yes amongst these stories being told so many stories going on right um <laughs> but it's uh it's, it's, it's a great watch it's a beautiful show and it's everybody can relate to something in that show at some point um it covers a whole variety of social issues through to 
historical events through to personal relationships. So you feel like you can relate to a lot of people who come through the door mm. and people really make themselves vulnerable to tell their mm. story. And it's really, I mean, we use the word, it's an honor so much, but to hear people's histories and what they've been through, it's pr people are amazing. Mm -hmm. So it is great, it's great. It's very, you could definitely feel a magic in the air when somebody's waiting for their reveal and all the cameras are set up and the workshop's quiet and they're filming their walk-ups and we're all, you know, because we all want to know mm. what their reaction's going to be. You can feel there's a buzz in the air. Amazing. Um, and we get front row seats, yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we've got lots of questions about how it's done and what, how it works. And yeah. Do, they, do people pay for the repairs mm. and all these kind of questions, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, and this is, is a is a series 12 now and you've been in 11 series? Yes, well. I've been in since series two. Wow. Um, and they've got over 300 episodes mm -hmm. now. So it's a big show. Huge. Um, we've got a few stats actually. Yeah. Go for it. So after moving to primetime for series six in March, it was watched by 6.7 million people. Wow. And in 2023, the show won a national television award in, in the daytime program category. Uh -huh. Another accolade. Uh -huh. There's also now an Australian, Dutch, and Belgium show. Uh -huh. Trying to think if Belgium had like a Flemish, Flemish, and a Flemish show. And in October of 2022, King Charles III, who was still the Prince of Wales at the time, started in an episode with a piece of pottery made by Queen Victoria's made for Queen Victoria's Diamonds Jubilee. Mm -hmm. Wild. There you go. What a show. Wild. That show won a BAFTA, by the way, too. And a BAFTA oh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> there just, you go. Yeah. Just drop that yeah, in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Boom. Just saying. BAFTA. Um, so, now that's the repair shop yeah, story. Yeah. Now for the story of Sonas. Of Sonas. Let's go back to 1986. Yes. Where did it all begin? Set the scene. Uh, 1986, uh, my parents were living on a, uh, a ship, naval ship, and oh. I was born in Tehran Hospital on the 27th of February, early in the morning. And you didn't spend too long there, a year later? A year were later, in... we moved back to the UK. Hampshire? Ha and Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And then, um... That's where we were for 10 years. And then we moved back to Iran for another couple of years, almost two years. Um, Tehran. Back to the UK, which is where we've all been and I've been ever since. Ever since. Apart from a bit of a stint of backpacking, around, you know, but um, yeah. So I think there's this there's this moment where you discover your passion. We're talking about this this journey of how mm. you turn your passion into career. And we, it's important to give context of when this passion started, but also also the 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 connection between you and restorations is quite interesting. Because when you're 10 years old, mm -hmm. you know, when you move to another country, so your parents, I assume, mm -hmm. packed all of their 
items right. in a big storage unit and mm -hmm. got it shipped over with maybe some furniture that was valuable to them, maybe mm -hmm. some family heirlooms, maybe your children toys yep. and shipped it all over there and that's it was there for when you arrived and all got unpacked. Yep. Is, that, is that what happened? Uh, Yes, it actually didn't all get unpacked, interestingly. And so where does this passion for um, for your, your love of craft and making start? So my mum, very, very creative woman. She actually wanted to go to art school, but her family wanted her to follow an academic route. Uh -huh. And she was kind of being forced into that... Uh, road and she's she is of English heritage. She's English, yeah, yeah. she's English, and um, she was a stay-at-home mum, but made absolutely everything from these incredible birthday cakes mm. with these models made out of icing wow. that were just unbelievable, um, through to all of the soft furnishings in our home. Bedding with our name in it wow. uh, on her sewing machine, which she's still got. And that was a sewing machine that I learned how to sew on. Um, so whatever sort of creative or practical jobs she would do. So I kind of grew up seeing that yeah. and going to haberdashers with her and choosing fabrics. And that was kind of like her escape in a way. Yeah. Um and I was very creative as it looking back, I was always drawing, I was always trying to make something there. And because of, you know, cultural and family influences, we were never encouraged to pursue any natural or, you know, interests that we might have, because mm -hmm. you'd always be an academic, you know, you're always going to go to university. And that was, you, there was no other choice yeah. until... I took a trip to um, an auntie's house. Mm. They were the other side of Tehran. So Tehran sits in a, a bowl of mountains around it. Right. And um, we took this trip and they were from um, a village on the other side. The, the sister of my auntie was making a Persian rug on the veranda. Right. By this time, I could speak Farsi, the language, mm -hmm. because you pick it up really quickly if you're living in the country. And kids yeah. were like sponges, you know, with language. Anyway. Yeah. And I was sort of saying, you know, what are you, what are you doing? She's, you know, I'm making a Persian rug uh, were you for the veranda. And this is the loom. She explained to me all about the loom, how it works, because you work at the same level, but it moves around the loom. So you don't have to sort of stand up and uh, make so yeah. that it can... Um, stay in a more practical position she told taught me about the knots the specific knots that uh, are used and how the edges are bound and how to read a pattern so she had a pattern that she was following and she physically showed me and we made we a few rows together and I was like this is incredible this is so cool. And I like I got it. Yeah. Clicked for you. It clicked. And it was making something that was going to be practical. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Because I think we take it for granted, everything that we're sat on or the rug here or even our clothes. You know, these things have to be made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it got me looking at things in a different way. And you're how old at this point? 11, 12. Okay, wow. And there's this whole thing with Persian rugs about, you know, knots per square inch. And if you flip a rug over, can you see if it's handmade or not? Mm. So I would start looking at rugs and things in a different way. Yeah. Hmm. Is that handmade? And if that is handmade, how did they make that, I wonder? And Persian rugs are quite like... That's a that's a thing people know and like Persian rugs. Right, what, I mean, are they highly valuable? Are they yes. expensive? Persian rugs have got to be one of the most famous products from the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. They're still highly regarded products. Why? Whether it's the skill that goes into them, yeah. the size. You know, some some of them are colossal. Yeah. Um, but. To be honest, anything that's handmade and is made with that amount of skill, you can tell. You, mm. you can see it, it has a different vibe. For, in my very humble opinion, yeah. you can tell. So I get back to um, home after this trip. I'm like, I'm going to make myself a little Persian rug. Okay. Um, and you could buy, you can buy kits out there from the shops. Right. But we were never allowed anything, any gifts or anything to be bought unless it was Christmas or birthdays. Um, and they, they weren't cheap. So, but I wasn't allowed one. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll make myself one. Make the loom. I make, I'll make a loom. Wow. And my, um, I knew I could get hold of um, some wool. Yeah. And we had some string at home, uh, which basically made the, I think you'd call it the warp. And um, I designed a pattern and I decided that I was going to make it for my grandmother, my nan mm. in the UK and I'd send it over to her. So I, I've included, uh, I included a, an N in the center of it. And, and so that's what I did. Do you have it? I have it with me. I brought it with me oh, to show you. Yeah, yeah I did bring it with yeah. me to show you. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 Where? yeah, yeah. I brought it out the attic. It's stored in my memory box. Wow. Oh, this is the rug you're just describing. My little N for Nan. Oh. And you can tell on the back because oh. that's what it looks like with a handmade rug. Yeah. Wow. And so this has, so this is what you, you wrap around the loom. So this bit here. Yeah. And then you start off, I don't know if you can see it. You can see my technique started to sort of wonder a bit at the end. <laughs> I but I started really well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my 11-year-old. 11-year-old, <laughs> year yeah. first time ever we'll doing it. We'll talk about that in a minute, shall we? The high-achieving uh, perfectionist. Um, so, yeah, so you start off in a certain way at the top here. And then, obviously... With per- not obviously, but with Persian rugs, they're often mirrored or carved and quartered. So wow. I've kind of mirrored it through there and mirrored the patterns through there. And is someone teaching you like this while you're doing it? No, no, it? no. I was just doing it, How you know. How you know to mirror and do all this? I don't know, to be honest. I just... Wow. It's a natural just gift. Just so gifted. No, I'm joking. <laughs> So special. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. I think I'm I'm quite um so reflecting back, 
I'm qu- I'm very introverted. Okay. And I'm very I've realized sort of as an adult that I'm very sensitive to the world around me. Okay. And I take quite a lot in. So, and I think as a child and also living in in Iran there wasn't the nor it wasn't a normal life like you'd have over here so there was a lot of time to think i see uh and a lot of time to be observant right uh and when you don't speak the language to begin with certainly you're just looking at Captured, stuff and yeah. kind of yeah um so you put it wherever you like yeah i'll lay it there um, yeah, uh, do you know, I'm actually going to get it framed. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all this time. So we sent it back to my nan. Um, and when she died, actually, my mum uh, got it from her house. Oh, and um, yes, so she had sure. kept it at least, which was good. So, yeah, so that was really, this is, this and I did make something on my mum's sewing machine. But to be honest, this is really the first tangible thing I probably ever made. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Of, um, you know, of for someone. Yes. Mm. So then, so you, you do go back to the UK, as you said, you spent a couple of years in... Uh, in, in Iran. In Iran this yes, time. a couple of years. And um, to why, why did you go back? Uh, my mum really missed her family for a start. Um, and things didn't really turn out the way it was planned. Um pretty well we we did we lost everything so the there were family businesses and stuff like that and the one that um my parents were involved in they lost everything overnight pretty much overnight yeah because we were heavily western because of being living in the uk for Mm. so long taking us over there we were sent to my sister was sent to an international school and i was sent to a private iranian school um and they couldn't afford that. And then I later actually went to the international school. So the difference is the international schools speak English mm-hmm. and the private Iranian, that they don't speak, they speak Farsi. Yeah, so that was wild. So anyway, they couldn't afford to send us to school either as, as you know, among other things. So that was really the catalyst to come back. And so all that s- stuff that you had packed and moved over to Iran, what mm. happened to that when yes. you moved back to the UK? I think, yeah, we were just sort of, my mum was desperate to come back. Uh, And the initial plan was to send everything, just leave with um, luggage. um, And then everything would be sent back later. Yeah, furniture. Furniture, all your toys and your, you know, your things and stuff. Um, All the photos and everything. But it didn't ever come back. So we really sort of landed back in the UK with, our luggage um, and, and a wing and a prayer. Yeah, and that was wow. it. Yeah. Wow. It all just felt very, very normal. So it's only as I've mm. got older that I thought, that was quite tough, actually. Mm. Oh, all my trolls uh, mm. were left out there because mm. I used to collect trolls. Um, everything was left out there. Well, this this must, I mean, we'll get to this, but this must be why it so, feels so special to you doing restorations right and Which the was repair an shop is yes. just people coming in with these family heirlooms mm. these, these chairs that have been passed down to them and anything and that all comes of through. this yeah i and you lost all yours right and i i sort of live 
vicariously through the contributors on the show you know I totally get why something might be so precious to them it's almost like therapy for you in a way 100 yeah. wow. and also you know hearing people's stories we would you know if you're in a restoration job you do it for people you might know that there's a story behind something you're working on but you'd never really go into that much detail mm. but on the show they go they really kind of draw it out right draw it out yeah. um and draw, draw it up from the depths mm. of a place where they might not have spoken about something for wow. a while so you really get to understand people people's lives people are amazing and people go through some really tough times. So you kind of like, you're not the only one. Mm. Yes. yes. Do you know what I mean? It Which makes is, you feel... That's exactly what this, this show has been for a lot of people, I right. think. And what we really try and focus on is that we want people to feel like they're not alone. When they're going through a right. tough time, you're not... It, it, and there's real comfort in just hearing someone else has been through something. You mean tough. this show? Yeah. Yes, 100%. Well. Um, yes. That's what I got from listening to this show. As yeah, because well, you're actually. a listener. Of I'm a the listener. Show. <laughs> yeah, I that's love what that. I got. Was people, you know, people's experiences, people drawing on their experiences for better. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And to share in a way that makes you feel like if that happened to me, I'd be able to get through it too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and to talk about things that people wouldn't normally talk about. Mm -hmm. yeah. Important uh, and I think that's, you know, that's becoming more and more where there's less shame around having a hard life at some time or, uh, you know, having therapy. There's less shame about that now. Mental health, there's less shame mm -hmm. about it. And even if you're in a prominent position, um, you know, job or whatever that position might be, to show that you're human too mm -hmm. is a really good thing. Mm. Yeah. You move back. Yes. You lose, you lose everything. Yes. Effectively is what happens. Yeah, you yeah. come back um, and you you go into the world of, of education you, and you get this... Mm. Um, what happens first? You go to college and then you drop out of college. I do, yeah, yes. So coming back, getting back into education moving back into the house that we were before we um, moved out of it. Um, I ha definitely sort of tendencies of hyperactivity, ADHD, whatever you want to call it, and dyslexia. And we were kind of reeling off the back of the experience of moving back to the UK mm. and trying to get back into education over here, I found it really a struggle. What happened was I enrolled for law. Okay. Sociology, English language, and fine art, I think, because having been indoctrinated into knowing that I was going to become a, a lawyer, mm. um, I uh, went and enrolled in those courses. And uh, one day, and I got accepted too. And then one day I just thought, nah. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it. And I called my mom and said, you know what? 
I'm not up for this at all. I don't want to do it. Actually, I want to study art. Um, and she was just do whatever it makes you happy. Because I think through her experience I as a child, see. not being able to go to art school, plus the experience we'd had as a family, mm. life's too short, man. Yeah. Mm. Just do what you think is going to make you happy. So I was like, all right, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I went back to the college and said, look, actually, I don't want to do the law. Thanks for accepting me. But I want to do art, text, fine art, textiles, art graphics. And my mum said, just do one academic subject to fall back on. I said, okay, I'll do English li language, English language. But I, I knew I wanted to work with my hands in some way. Mm. Uh, not just that, I was struggling with the coursework. I just couldn't get my head around mm. it. Um, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't figure it out or what, you know, what I had to write. And I was so desperate to work and to kind of build a life of my own. Even then, um, I started actually looking for apprenticeships because oh. I thought I want to go to work. I want to earn money. I want to, you know, get out there. And then by chance, I was in the library. I came across these uh, apprenticeships for this yacht builders in Paul Dorset called Sunseeker. And they were advertising for 25 apprentices, one of which was for upholstery. Oh. And the blurb said, sculpting foam, design, fabrics, luxury yachts, must make Persian rugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, must have experience in making their own loom. Oh, this is written for me. Oh, yeah, destined. how did they know? Um, they've been waiting for me. Um, and I thought... This sounds like a bit of me. That is a bit of me. Yeah. yeah that sounds incredible. And I thought, well, Dorset's not that far away. Um, so I applied... My mum drove me to Poole and we couldn't find it because it was an office in the centre of Poole. But Sunseeker have got sites all over this area. So we were passing them as we were trying to find the office. And I was thinking to myself, I have got to work for this company. I am going to make sure I work for this. This is my opportunity. Mm. This is my time to mm. start taking control of my life and do something that I feel like a bit of a fire in my belly for. Wow, and you're you're 17 at this 17. age. 17. A lot of hunger and fire for that age, but yeah. Um, yes, Look, definitely looking back, yeah. Too much strength can be a weakness. Uh -huh. um, and found the offices, parked up, and you do, uh, uh, you're, you're tested in batches of like 20 or 25 kids. And you go in for an interview as well. So you go in for an interview and then you do a practical, uh, you know, a written test. But it was more about what angle is this? How okay. would you cut a 45 degree? And so I was, I got this, you know, this uh -huh. I'm running through these questions. Uh, and my mum said, yeah, make sure you take questions in to ask the interviewer. Ah, um, great tactic. So I said, all right, I will. So I had loads of questions to ask them. Um and then there was another round of interviews. So you get through these stages. And the, the so second round of interviews. And then after that, you do a day in the workshop or a few hours where you'd be in the workshop 
where with the people who you'd be with, so the fully qualified people. Yeah. And and then the letter arrived in the post. After all that, hmm. I was one of four finalists. Nice. And oh, it's A4. It's a posh conqueror envelope with posh paper on the inside. What were you thinking of while waiting for this? Oh, I just thought, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get this. This for me was the best opportunity that I could get for a super prestigious company. Just and give people context of Sunseekers. So Sunseeker, yeah, is um, a luxury yacht manufacturer based in Poole, started by the Braithwaite brothers and they ship globally. Um, and then the envelope came and dear Sonaz, we're delighted to say that you've been accepted into the apprenticeship. Wow. Here's your contract. Oh my God, it was so good. So I was the one chosen for that position that year. What a moment. Ah, oh, it was such a great feeling. So you worked there for a, a long time. While. Yeah, so worked there for nine, eight or nine years. So I served a four year apprenticeship. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it was during this time, when did you start um, riding a motorbike? I was either 21 or 22. So within five years or so, I was quite reckless. As a young person, I was pretty way more bullish. And then I had a really unlucky fall on the bikes. As, and it was extremely unlucky. Uh, and I ended up, the bike slid out from underneath me. And I ended up shattering uh, my left, thank God it wasn't my right, but my left humerus, you know, head injury in the middle of the road. How coming, fast were you going? I wasn't going that far. Well, I say it would have been 25 or 30 mile an hour. But when you're doing that speed, not in a car and hitting the ground, uh, you know, like if you're on a push bike, well, if you're doing that on a, even on a road bike, that's yeah. fast. Yeah. Charles, no, Charles is a cyclist. Yeah, I do a lot of oh, cycling yes, and yeah. racing. It's painful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's like chucking yourself out of a car. Onto a cheese grater. <sighs> yeah. 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 And also my jacket, I borrowed the jacket and it, you know, rode up and I had the gravel rash actually was more painful. I didn't actually know that I'd broken anything. Um, and lots of incredible things happened in that moment. Uh, a doctor pulled up. Oh, wow. A nurse was like had was there with, I don't know where she came from, where her car was or whatever. Um, and she, she was she was there um i know i hit my head terribly i sort of lost my vision then it came back as black and white you know like a white noise on tv wow. and i was just like i'm gonna be sick in a minute um and so she was kind of talking to me and then the ambulance turned up and they said you can you feel is there anywhere because i kind of scooted myself to the side of the road and um i said no i uh, I uh, I can't feel it. The gravel rash is really aching. And they said, right, we're going to cut your clothes off. I said, oh, um, I think this was a Wednesday. And I said, oh, oh, 
my underwear says Magic Mondays, but I'm telling you now, I've not been wearing it since Monday. You know, they're clean Disclaimer. on today. You know, trying to make light of the situation. Um, and he said, oh, don't worry. You know, we won't, uh, we won't, won't be looking at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, just trying to make light of the, of the um, accident. Yeah. And um, I said, oh, I can't, I can't move my arm. I said, do you think it's dislocated? And he said, we're actually not allowed to say. Uh, but we're going to get you into the ambulance and we're going to give you some morphine. Oh. I said, oh, okay, great. Mm -hmm. I've never had morphine before. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what they did. And long story, long story short, um, by the time I'd got to the hospital, they just started to figure out that actually it's not a clean break through the humerus. It's something more serious. And it was really unlucky uh, the way that I fell, because it meant that the ball came away from the joint and then the ball actually sheared a few times. Um, and that's really what the, the biggest problem was. Yeah. And so uh, you had to get it, there were um, what, screws or what happened? So in the end, um, and they came back and they said, actually, we're going to get a specialist in and he's going to put a plate and screws on the bone and into the into the arm. And... Um, that's, we just need to wait for him to become available. Wow. So that's what happened. Okay. And they said, you'll probably get 70% movement back if you're lucky. But I've got 95 back now. I'm sort of hypermobile. Uh, so like badly. So I think that's helped. Overstretching. Um, so that's helped. But every day... I did physio every day. I did yoga. Mm. I always saw um, a recovery specialist or a massage or a Cairo, mm. or I've really put a lot back into the recovery. Mm. And it's uh, the procedure was amazing. And everybody I've seen have said he's obviously done an amazing job because of what you've got, wow. but also coupled with all the treatment that I've. Yes. pursued it makes it kind of I tenfold see. better and it had an impact on you not just physically oh, yeah, but emotionally heavy, yes um, how was your mental health affected around this time things started to deteriorate um i didn't realize it but um i had kind of gone into like hyper control mode where you can I couldn't quite figure out my emotions. I started to control what I was eating and exercise. I lost a lot of weight quite dramatically. Um, so talk us through that. Like you basically, you had an eating disorder. I developed an eating disorder. Yeah. What, how much were you eating? Like what was your well, eating? Well, probably about four hundred calories on a good day. It kind of it was very in a very short period of time. I lost a lot of weight, and that was the period of time that I had it. So it wasn't for years, mm. not that that makes it any less you know, of a thing. Do you know what weight you went from to? Yeah, so I'm actually a really heavy person naturally. So I'm 71 key, 71.5, the scale suggested this morning. So yeah. that's 11 stone, isn't it? Okay. Something yeah, like sounds that. Sounds like, yeah. So I would right. have been 11 and a half stone then. So I was bigger then. And I went down to under... Uh, so I would have been like nine stone something, uh, which is still heavy for two. a very skinny person. Yeah, but you lost two stone. Two stone. Yeah, two stone. And I, I was very stocky. So a lot of that uh, was also what I was carrying, but muscle from swimming. and So 
but also so I didn't realize so because I had sewing machines at home I just used to take my jeans and take my jeans and take my jeans in oh. and then I'd run out of stuff to wear because I'd taken my jeans and so far it was starting to sew into the pockets you know the back pocket so I went to go and get some new jeans and I'd always been then I'd always been like a, a size 12 or 14 and so I got a pair of size 12s off of the rack and put them on and I didn't even undo the zip. I was like, oh, that's weird. I'll get a size 10 then. So I got a size 10, same again. I said, well, that's bizarre. <laughs> I'll get a size eight then. So I got a size eight and they were still baggy. I thought, and that's when it hit me and I thought, Wow, so you had no idea. Yeah, you just I didn't even see sizes. it. Didn't even see it. How bizarre yeah. is that? And I was saying to mum, I said, I don't know, you know, because uh, I, I had so many um, painkillers, you, mm. you, you end up damaging your stomach from taking so many for right. so long. I did, I did. And so I was very hypersensitive to some foods and I was saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe it's the painkillers and trying to put it on something else. Yeah. Um, and then I was eating a lot of um, chewing gum because that's another thing, and it's a laxative, just to right. say. Uh -huh. um, but that was also a thing, cause that was also a control thing. And then I was just having like a couple of crackers and everybody around me saw, so the people that I worked with, they were like, Son, we think you're going a bit too far. And I said, I don't know what you mean. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. You denied there was anything. I just didn't even think of it. Didn't even see it. Didn't even right. see it. Wow. Um, and they were really good to me, actually, the people who I was working with, because I totally, I had alienated myself from everybody as well. Um, and anyway, so I, I got to, I tried counselling, didn't work, and I went to the doctor, and I said, look, today I've had a, this week I've literally had like 12 crackers and a few pears because pears are not acidic. That's all you ate the whole week? That whole week. I said yeah. something, I said tomorrow I don't even feel, I don't even know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. And he said, oh, have you tried cognitive behavioral therapy? I said, I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, it's, because I said to him, it's not, it's not about the emotion. Uh, still kind of kidding myself. I said, you know, I need something practical to try and work through this. And he said, well, cognitive behavioral therapy is a way of analyzing why you're feeling the way you are um, and to help you work through it. I said, yeah, sure, sign me up. And the interesting thing was, uh, and I felt so fortunate, thank goodness for the NHS, because I then had a series of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy sessions, um, actually in the countryside. So I'd drive to the countryside, nice. I'd have my sessions, and then I had signed myself up to do a ceramics course. So directly after the ses sessions, I would go and do a ceramics um, okay. class. Yeah. And that, that was really helpful. You know, um, not creative therapy, what do they like, call it? Yeah, like... Art uh, therapy. Art therapy, yeah. Art therapy, and it really felt like that. So, mm. um, yeah, that was amazing. And it was amazing. So that really started, if it wasn't for that motorbike accident, I wouldn't have started a self-development or a, mm. an investigative, curious journey into self. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the, I think the, the, 
my feeling is that sometimes I could get quite self-absorbed with mental health issues because um, it's very in. It's always mm. I'm feeling, I, you know, but I really wanted to not kind of blame myself or um, I really try to not have that negative self-talk and, and I try to think of it as, you know, what am I going to do about this? How can I, how can I try to make this better for myself? How can I understand this more? What happened for me to feel like that? Why am I still carrying it here? Why isn't it back there where it belongs? Mm. Um, so I was, I became really curious about how our lives and childhoods and experiences that are in or out of our control affect us as functioning humans in our day to day. And so that was quite a gift. What mm. what were the thoughts going on in your mind at that point, the negative thoughts? What's the negative thoughts? Negative thoughts what, so people can understand were that sort of what would you say to I'm yourself? not doing enough good I know, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at my job. Um the world is a negative place. And I'd never really thought like that before. Um, the world is conspiring against me. Nothing's going right. Um, everything I seem to do is not working. Um, pretty much every aspect you can think of, I would be thinking, oh, it's not good enough. And I would obviously call in sick to work. But my, what was really nice was that my boss at the time you know I'd book off these sessions he never asked um. when I used to holiday form leave work an hour early bi-weekly it was then uh he never battered an eyelid mm. Mm. well that that road to recovery is you know, it can be a very solitary road. Solitary, yeah. What good were word. the what were the things that that you put into your life that helped you kind of move back up to wellness? Great question. Learning about, uh, well, cognitive. It started with the cognitive behavioural therapy. Mm -hmm. It was um, learning about foods. Okay. And what foods actually, and nutrition actually, more than anything. about um, So learning about nutrition. Um, actively finding time in my day to do some sort of exercise or yoga mm. without trying to think about it obsessively. Okay. But I'm ob an obsessive type of person, so that was that, and it still is to not be obsessive is so hard for me. Um, and to not put so much pressure on myself to be at a certain headspace or to achieve certain things at a certain time, mm. it's all right if it takes a bit longer. Um, and slowly, 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 I actually was able to then think, what relationships in my life actually bring me down that aren't supportive? And what do I need to do about that? Where am I giving and giving and giving till I feel absolutely exhausted and it's not coming back? Mm -hmm. um, that was good. That was really good. And then it kind of snowballs. And then I thought, life is so short. We don't know what's around the corner. 
and I'd always had this fantasy of starting my own business. Mm. And I kind of had got to a place where I thought, I think I could take on a challenge. Mm. Um, and I thought now more than ever, let's just do it. I was so young, 24, 25, um, and I was hungry to do more. And I actually, uh, I went for a job actually uh, within the company and the person who pointed the job out to me said, look, if you don't get this job, there's something wrong with the system because this job is written for you. Um, and I didn't get the job. Ah, that was a sign. Yeah, yeah and I that one door closes and I, you know, if I did, I'd still be there now. You think? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I do think so. Yeah, sliding doors moment. S properly. Yeah. And I, th I two weeks later, and you only had to give a week's notice, so you'd give your notice in on a Monday or Friday, and by the Friday yeah, you're you, gone. You're gone. Wow, that's quick, really quick. Shocking, actually. Yeah. Um, because you. Anyway, I sort of wrote my resignation letter. And then handed it to my boss with like a shaky hand. And he said, it's your resignation, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. How did you know that? that? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, I saw it was coming. I said, oh, right, okay. Um, and then what's even more interesting is on my exit interview, the guy who um, conducted the interview, I hold a very dear space in my heart for this man. He gave me some of the best advice I'd ever received as wow. a young person. What did he say? Um, previous to this interview, leaving interview, I said to him, I want to go backpacking for a year. And I said, I don't know, you know, it's going to affect my apprenticeship. He said, son, and I was 20, I was 19 then. He said, son, until you're 30, do whatever the hell you want. He said, don't even worry about it. He said, go backpacking. We'll have you back. He said, go and work somewhere else. We'll have you back after then. He said, honestly, he said, don't even worry. And it was the first time somebody in an authoritative father-like figure had sort of taken the pressure off. Because ever, right. up until that point, it was yeah. like, you're going to be successful, whatever you do, at every cost. Mm. Um, mentally physically, physically emotionally, emotionally because that's what looks good okay um and on the leaving interview he uh we were going through the questions he said we always knew you were going to leave huh. i said what what do, you, what do you mean he said oh we always we've we knew you were going to leave he said you're just that type of person and I didn't know at that time whether to be offended or to, <laughs> I was like, is that a compliment? I'm not too sure. Um, massive compliment, but also scary because I thought, oh my God, what does this mean? You know, my path is gonna is like gonna be like this now. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what's gonna happen. Um, and, and I cried on the way home. Wow. Because I was, I'm just leaving my dream job. Wow. I love that. This is, this is, it's how a lot of businesses start. Ash and I, both founders, we know what it's like. Have you? you yes, you, of course. You just, you enter this world mm -hmm. of 
the unknown, right? That's what it feels like. It's mm-hmm. the complete unknown. This is what people need to know. If they've got this desire inside themselves where they have this business idea that they'd like to start, they mm. have this passion they'd like to turn into their, mm-hmm. you know, living. Yeah. That you're, you're, you're going to go through this period of l- taking the leap yeah. into the unknown yeah. and it's going to be scary and you're going to be unsure about it and all these things. But the fact is you have to do what you did and take that leap. Which is what you did. That's it. This the great unknown is what everyone's scared of. Yeah. And once you start to, you know, point a torch into the darkness, you start to learn. Oh, right. This is how that works. That's how that works. Yeah. I might need to know that or that, but at least I'm aware of what I need to know. Right. And not just being fearful of what I don't. At least you were aware of what you needed to know. That was a step ahead of where I was certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, a friend of mine who very successful. He said to me, he said, Sonaz, if people knew that actually they're more likely to be successful than fail, they're more likely to go for it. Mm, And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Actually, the odds aren't always, if to start a business and make a living, I'm not talking multi-million, global, whatever, extravaganza, for you to make a living so that you can live the life that you want, you're more than likely going to be successful because mm. everything's at our fingertips, really, especially now today. And I thought, well, wasn't that a really interesting way to, to think about it? Yeah, because everybody just looks at the statistic that X percentage of startups fail within the first five years and all this stuff. Mm. But it's like the entrepreneurial career in life is very, it's, I guess it's different to a job, but same in the same way. But like the, the, the key is getting experience. Like start a business and it can fail in a year and you and you what you do you start or you evolve it or you evolve yeah. it which is exactly what i did i mean so what was I, your first business yeah well i mean when i left my job yeah i knew that i needed some sort of living so i had told one of the subcontractors my friend's looking for a job because i didn't want anybody to know that i was leaving <laughs> um classic my friend yeah yeah <laughs> My someone I know yeah. is looking for a job, and do you have any vacancies? Because I know that you're under the pressure, and I know that I felt like I heard you say you might have needed somebody. They said, "Actually, yeah." I said, oh, "I'll let them know, <laughs> and I'll put you in contact." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, so, although I left my job on the Friday, cried on the way home. On the Saturday, I was subcontracting to them. Nice. So. Um, and I basically charged them the same hourly rate as what I was getting paid as a job, which everybody who's subcontractor or you've got a business, that's not what you do because you're, you know, all your overheads and all the rest of it. Anyway, it's my first big mistake. Charge them more is the, is yeah, the, is the general term. Yeah. 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 yeah, twice yeah. or three times more. Yeah. Um, and she actually offered me a job a few times. She said, Sonna, stay with me. I said, I can't. I've got this vision and I need to I've committed to myself and I can't do it and it was while I was subcontracting there that I had found a workshop okay and um well, like a, for, for yourself like a for myself for you? yes for and myself what was, the, what was the plan now you're going to start a company doing what I'll tell you what the plan was the plan was I was going to start a company be a subcontractor to Sunseeker and retire early okay oh. Uh, <laughs> three-step plan three-step nice plan. and easy <laughs> pretty straightforward what could go wrong mm. so the you first, would do upholstery for them basically. do upholstery for them uh, and soft furnishings mm-hmm. um, as a one-man band there's no way you can do that 
stuff's too big. It's two man job at least. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to. You need to have the infrastructure to be that business. And also, I had that in my head because that was the safe bet. Mm-hmm. I knew the product. I knew them. There was a relationship there already. But I, I was so, um, what green. I hadn't thought anything through, obviously, and but I just knew I wanted to get better at my job. We were in a very small niche sector of manufacturing, and I wanted to know it all. I had absorbed everything I needed to. I could learn, mm-hmm. um, but there's a whole, literally, a whole world out there. You know, every single building around the world has some sort of fabric, something in it, and I wanted to know all about it. Mm. Um, and so thinking to myself, oh, well, that's just what I'll do, was a um, fool's way of thinking, I could start a business, I could do that. And, you know, sort of a easy way out. And what actually happened then? Well, not that. And I've never subcontracted to Sunseeker <laughs> at all. Um, and where my work, so I rocked up to this farm shop complex, which is in a, a tiny little village not even village like tiny little hamlet i guess um in in wimborne uh, in dorset and they had it was there was a few shops and a farm shop there and and a to- uh, you know a toilet block for the customers to, and a cafe and she was actually renting out one of the shop spaces and i said actually this is tiny and i think i'm going to be too lucky i've got tools and everything yeah. um I actually didn't have tools, but I'm going to have tools soon. And Mm -hmm. I think this is not going to be big enough. She said, well, over there is the old calfing barn because it used to be a farm shop. It used to be where all the cows were. Yeah. Um, We're not actually, it's not actually let, you know, advertised to be let. But if you want to have a look at it. And I thought, yeah, let's go down. So we went down and I mean, concrete floor, single skin uh, wall, um, but as soon as I walked in, I knew that was the spot. That was it. This is mine. That was it. Okay. I said, I'll, I'll take it there and then there. Yeah. I said, this is the one. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and she said, awesome. all right, if you want to, uh, so I'd saved 1200 pound and I had put, uh, it was 450 pound a month, this place. So I put that month, uh, and a deposit down. So that left me with a uh, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, so 300 pound. And then I found um, two benches, some foam, and a sewing machine that didn't work for 300 pound. Um, <laughs> Everyone needs a sewing machine. It doesn't work, work. Yeah, another classic error, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, I'll be able to make it work. And um, so I went and got them and just put the, I mean, horrent, freezing even in the summer. Oh. Um, but that was the start of it. There we go. And that was, yeah, that was the beginning, really. For the next, it's it's five years from when you started that business mm. to getting, getting on the the, call. Re- the, the, call, the yeah, call, the repair the call. shop call. Yeah. So what happened in that five years of the business? Just plot out the... So the, I started um, talking about evolution of businesses. So I got a job at a, a bar and a hotel as waitressing and um, bartending. Uh, to supplement my income and because I didn't have any reputation or any clients or anything at all no marketing I had no idea I thought well I better register my social media handles Um, and 
I thought, well, the easiest way, I had done a bit of teaching when I was at Sunseeker, uh, sort of voluntarily, mm -hmm. and I loved it. I thought, well, I'll start some upholstery courses. Great. Um, yeah. I had waiting lists for miles. Wow. Um, Amazing. So How I would, did you advertise the courses? So the first courses were in like the local paper. Yeah. Um, people reached out to you through that? Yeah. Wow. And I priced it. So this is an interesting thing because there was somebody else teaching upholstery who I didn't know about, but she thought I had kind of planted myself to poach her oh no wasn't the uh, but wasn't the case yeah. um so i priced it it was 148 pound for six weeks and that included all, the, all your sundries just bring yourself along oh. you need to you need to buy your own fabric mm -hmm. but i'll give you a 10 percent discount or 15 percent discount if you're a student on the fabrics that i wow. have got accounts for great deal I'll, yeah I'll yeah come up. along oh, <laughs> yeah. i'm coming this yeah. is in 2011 so oh, okay. uh and i wasn't that registered then and um <laughs> Yes, yeah, so then I that four or five students was the magic number, and I was teaching probably about four or five times a week, yeah. um, morning, afternoon, and one evening class, and they all had waiting, and they everybody the word spread quickly, and I, you know, I'm not a purist. Uh, you could only do certain things in a certain way, craftsperson, mm -hmm. and I, basically, people would come to me. And if they wanted to put a crazy fabric on an old chair, I would say, do it. Okay, You're here, it's your time, mm -hmm. your creativity. I'm just here to facilitate and show mm -hmm. you how to do it. Mm -hmm. If you want to do that, you crack on. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't, but you do it. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't, no, definitely not. Um, and it was actually like therapy because it was like having lots of mums and aunts come round mm, for a nice. creative session. Yeah. And so the funny story was that basically the teaching revenue was coming in and then all my commissions were building up. So then the balance started to tip. So I started to cancel some of the classes. And then 2016, November or December, the phone rang in the workshop yeah. and somebody answered it and she was a bit, Oh, wow. Okay. No, yeah. No, I don't own the business. And then passed it over to me. And it was a guy called Shane uh -huh. who said, um, Hi, uh, this is Shane. I work for a production company called Ricochet. We're part of Warner Brothers. We're casting for experts for a show called The Repair Shop for the BBC. Um, who are you? We want to, you know, what do you do? And what are you thinking when he said that? I was like, you hit me with the big guns. The BBC, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers yeah. TV. Yeah. Um, and... And so you had to tell him about yourself. Is that yeah, so uh, he said, would you mind me sending you a questionnaire? Um, and actually I found this, the uh, pictures that I took to email over to oh, him. Cool. And I was writing emphatically and like PTO is some more about what I think about this. Um, you know, what do I think about apprenticeships and what do I think about restoration? And how important is it, etc. Um, and by this time, I'm not doing anything to do with boats, but because of where my workshop was and because there was a need for furniture upholsterers, I ended up getting into the furniture restoration world. And that's kind of how I got into that world. Sent the questionnaire. And then he gave me a call back and said, would you, can we do an interview with you? He said, it's going to sound really weird, but we'd like you to video yourself and send it to us. 
that's a casting call, which mm. I had no idea. I was like, yeah, fine, no problem. Weird, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. So I did. Anyway, I didn't send it off in the end for whatever reason, or I was delaying, or I didn't know USB. And I was sort of unsure. I didn't really know if it was something I wanted to get into. Wow. Um, almost didn't do it. I almost, well, I didn't. Series one went on. Oh, so you could have been a part of series one. I could have. I could wow. have. I could have. Opportunity missed, maybe. Mm. And then um, it got recommissioned as they were filming it. So I got a call back in the March or something, or the, the, the first quarter of the next, of 2017. Yeah. They said, oh, we're still interested in using you. Um, are you interested? Wow. And you hadn't sent this thing back, this self -tape. So I had another interview casting call you didn't did you ever send that not the first video? one no not the first wow. one. and actually funny story as i actually found i have found both of the movie files of me <laughs> recording myself can you send it to us i will I, yeah i will we could it's like, we could put it in this episode yeah, honestly it it's like lost files. looking at a child a different person wow so i was two camera i'm sonas no very uh, I'm 30 years old. I'm an upholsterer in Dorset and I run my own business. Um, and so I said I'd like to come and meet some of the experts and visit the barn, uh, which I did. And Had you decided you were going to do it at this point? No, you, I hadn't. You to I had, I was unbeknownst Had to me. Had the TV show come out at this point? Had you no, seen uh, it? No, it hadn't aired okay. yet. But right. they did send me a DVD. Okay, nice. Which was very sweet. Yeah. There was a bit more back and forth and that in the end they were like, do you want to be a part of this or what? I said, yeah. look, I'm really sorry. I just, I don't know why I'm being so cautious. I said, I'm a bull in a, a China shop normally and I would say yes to everything, but I don't know why I'm being so cautious. Looking back, it's probably because I was scared of the unknown. Yeah. So uh, I went to the barn and I met a few of the experts and they were filming at that time mm. for series two. Um, and I thought, yeah, these guys seem cool. And also, not just that, they were so careful about protecting the craft, mm. crafts of all of us. Yeah. Show as much as you want to show, because none of us knew we didn't know, well, I didn't know, just speaking for myself. I didn't really, you don't know what you're getting. TV can be a pretty wild place. And I didn't want, I wanted to do the uh, upholstery world justice. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do myself justice. Mm. Um, That's it, because you're suddenly, whether you like or not, you're now representing upholsterers. You're now representing... Iran, whether you like it or not, whether maybe. I like it or not, you know, you're now representing people of mixed heritage. Yeah, yep. you know, all these things suddenly. Are I now didn't even your think about it. That, yeah, that's yeah. and and whether it was something there that I, it was so big I couldn't even start to, you know, compartmentalize it, mm. and I felt so reassured. Tan, her name is. Um, by Tan that everything was going to be okay. And who's Tan? Tan is one of the producers of the show. Okay. Um, so you finally say yes? So I said, yeah, 
I said, yeah, okay. And how quickly after saying yes were you on set? They were like, oh, could you next week, if you want to come in next week. And you were like, whoa. (laughs) Straight in. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. And it was one item. And actually she was from Bournemouth, the lady. And it was an item that I hadn't really done for, I hadn't done that kind of job for a long time. Right. Like a long time. Uh, In fact, from my apprenticeship, my traditional posture. And it's notoriously difficult. It's it's an iron back. It's called an iron back nursing chair. Okay. It wasn't the first episode that came out. Um, Something else came out, but that was the first one that I agreed to do. And then it kind of went from there. Well, put let's put an image of that on the video so people can see. I've got photographs of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got photographs of it. Um, And again, just watching it back, it's just like, who are we? We all look so. It was just, yeah, like really amazing amazing thing to be involved with and experience like totally wild so how quickly did your did your social media get a lot of following not after really, you started no no so i guess it's not it's not like it's on the show follow me at blah, no blah, blah. no um it took a while to be honest um but i quite liked that and for a long time, it was the pandemic where it really, it was doing well before then anyway. Yeah. But that's when people, it really blew up. It off. And it was lovely because it was successful then and it was well known, but we were still in a bit of a bubble. Yeah. And, you know, people who I knew or were in my hometown would be like, oh, what are you working on this week? Who I didn't recognize, but they saw, because I'm a local woman, they knew about me. But Mm. I could, you know, I could obviously still walk in the street and nobody knows who I am, but there wasn't that level of, oh my God, the repair shop. Mm. So... By the way, now, does, does anybody say anything in the streets? Well, if I don't wear a scarf... And if I don't put makeup on, and if I don't wear black, people don't really. And also, it's by association, isn't it? Um, so if I'm not, if I'm with everybody, mm. if we're out, I know, if we're filming and we're out, we've gone to dinner, they'll see one, and then they'll see us all. Yeah. And it's, oh my, you're you're the fabric girl. Um, <laughs> the fabric. Funny story, hilarious girl. story. Oh my god, you say that. So, so no, people don't really recognise me at all, which is really fun. But people like the teddy bear ladies always get recognised. Mm. I went to um, the NTAs once, and I was walking with them. And <laughs> we walked past this queue of people going into the NTAs. And they were like, Amanda and Julie. I was like, off you, you know, yeah, hi. Um, and they didn't, like, it's, it's so funny. Even funny, funny, I was with them as, again. I took a break in series five. Um, I didn't film. And then I went back towards the end of series five. And uh, by this time, people were starting to, it was starting to kind of yeah. rise. Yeah. Uh, lunchtime and there's a rope that people can't walk past and they say come come to the rope with us come to the rope and say hello to some people I said well all right I'll come with you so we walk up and they're saying oh hi how are you there and they say oh we love that teddy bear that you did and I was sort of stood there they tried just seeing if anybody'd like to make eye contact to chat and this guy he went could you just move out of the way because I'm trying to take a picture of the sign (laughs) (laughs) said yeah, I can sure. move for you, no problem. No worries, no worries. <laughs> so hilarious. And I, I want to cover some things that uh, 
some fans on the show might want to hear about the show. How oh, it works. yeah. So, you're the, and for people who, who may not have watched it, but might do. So, you you stood there at this table. Um, bench. And bench. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm uh, teasing. <laughs> and someone comes in and they share their story and they share the item. Oh, that table. Sorry. Beg your p- yes, the arrival table. Yeah, right. oh, yeah okay. no, you're quite right. Beg oh, your pardon. I'm right. No, you're right. Um, so, do you, and then you walk off, right? And do you then that same day do you go straight to the workshop and start working on it how does it work or do you come yeah, back there, everything's done there um does it happen straight away though do you do that scene depending on the expert you, off you go yeah depending on the expert pretty much you get straight into the call it the first look oh right they go yeah then you set up for your first look of the item in the barn you yeah. we already mm-hmm. know what it is because we've been sent that information yeah and then pretty much yeah you, you start working sometimes if you're working on something else, again, depends on the expert. Uh, you might finish something and then move on to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you pretty much crack on. And it's probably how long is a piece of string, but the range of how long each item takes Well, you. my, I did set the record once for the hours filmed, which was 15 hours. Wow. Uh, bearing in mind, it's like minutes that you actually get in the show. Mm. Um, but, but so they, do they film every moment you're working on it? Well, it's, best, it's, it's different now because... The, production kind of know what they're looking for and there's a lot more conversation about process and everybody's a lot more if you think the producer now she's been there for five or six years or she's been there for a few years Mm -hmm. however many whatever it is from 2017 yeah 18 19 20 seven seven. um so she kind of knows the process of a Something that I'm working on, what uh, to film, coming and what to, to, what just to leave yeah, you to and what it. to chat, and we're all that uh, we all know what to talk to them about and say, God, yeah, I'm not looking forward to this bit. Oh, great, well, we'll film that bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Why, I need to remember Should not to don't say, that. say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, we've got much into a much better rhythm, and but for everybody, it's different. Okay. For a small item, it might take a day or two. For mine, it's like five or six or seven days. Really? Um, but the the beautiful thing about that um, and about crew that people might not think or, you know, without them, it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And we are a cog in a very big machine yes. that creates the show. Okay. And each cog is equally as important as the next yes and what's lovely is actually seeing the crew kind of learn from you and they're saying oh is so you're going to champ for that are you Mm. yes i'm going to champ for that that's right or are you going to use a contact adhesive or yes and how many layers are you going to laminate so it's kind of like they are and i feel uh as invested, they're as invested as you are in getting it right, capturing the best bits, um, but also in the item itself and the craft itself. As I see. What, you know, whoever they're filming. So, and I think one thing people are interested in is, do the people who come on the show pay for the restoration? Our license fee pays for that. Oh. We all do, yeah. So no, no, no. I it's see. a question we get asked uh, quite a lot yeah. actually but that's the that's another beautiful part of it because there's items I've seen that have come in that to that they may not have had restored 
because of the cost attached wow, to it. Wow, that's lovely. And so when they've, and then there's there's quite a few I can think of. Not just that, they might not even know who to go to. Right. Um, How are they found, the people who come on the show with the items? You can apply. Oh, you So can you apply. can go, in fact, if people want to apply for the Christmas, 2024 Christmas, yeah, particularly if they've got an, an upholstery or fabric item, um, <laughs> you can go on and you can apply for the Christmas episode. Oh, right. And then it goes into a database. Oh, cool. So lots How, where, of, lots of chairs link? and fabric things, please. Sorry. <laughs> Where's the link? What's the website? Um, Do you know? So it's on Ricochet's website. Okay. Um, but it? I'll give it to you. So you can check. Yeah. Um, Hashtag upholstery. Hashtag upholstery. Yeah, it's really fabrics. pushing that. Yeah, point. just just saying. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah, just in case. It wasn't clear or enough. like you know leather conservation stuff. Have um, you, has, has a Persian rug ever been brought in? No, oh, we had per rug chair, which were rugs that were on a chair, um, and they were actually saddle bags. And Lucia had unlocked the keys to that item, and she had a contact. So this is what's incredible about this show okay so she had a contact who specialized in textiles and, and woven textiles yeah. and rugs and he pinpointed the tribe in southern iran in southern shiraz that would have made wow. those rugs that went onto that chair and i was like i've been there That's i've so been cool yeah, and amazing. i felt i learned more about myself filming that item than i ever really had done um, so and there's lots of things that happen on that show that wouldn't be possible if we weren't all in the same workshop. Yeah, mm. I see. Yeah, it's like a big share collaboration. Expertise share expertise, and, yeah. different niche skills that I wouldn't have access to in my real world, or I'd struggle to get access to. Can I ask you something? When you when they show a shot of you and you go, oh well, this is a Roman chair and it's da 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 da. da do they give you a brief and say, here's the background info, or do you really know all this stuff? often than not we know about it okay yeah yeah because you are an expert yeah because we're experts man yeah <laughs> no uh, sometimes there's a you know you, you will fact check and then maybe find something else out that you didn't know and okay. chuck that into the old mix mm -hmm. if it gets edited in great if it doesn't i see we're not it's at the mercy of uh, the editors yeah um but more often than not i mean you're looking at a workshop full of obsessive people obsessive about everything that we do every aspect and we're yeah that says it all really i i loved i watched the um the most the latest episode i think i saw you in anyway um where you're doing this chair mm -hmm. and you're saying and so and you're saying it quite delicately. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to delicately, delicately take out these pins. <laughs> and then there's this shot of you with this hammer, like <laughs> yeah. cranking into yeah, it. In yeah. my, in my yeah. untrained eye, I'm yeah. like, you were going at that. That's I have delicate. referenced that actually in the show. I don't know if it's ever made the edit, but <laughs> yes, it, it looks brutal. So I should explain, you start taking, you're like delicately taking yeah. the pins out so I can put them back in and they're just popping off and yeah, breaking yeah, yeah, each yeah. one. Yeah. And um, that might have it, been it's um, quite funny. Yeah, yes, definitely. There's been a few. Yeah, I tell you, there was one um, egg chair that I did, and it was a orange one. Yeah. And it had speakers in it, but cool. what actually happened was I chose the wrong fabric. Oh. And not the fabric you see, 
And I said to the producer, I said, I've chosen the wrong fabric. I don't know what I was thinking. They said, right, okay, well, choose a better one. <laughs> okay, I will. So there's this mad panic. So there's a shot of me outside and I'm saying, and you can see it in my face where I'm saying, every upholsterer knows how difficult it is to upholster curved objects. And I know who is filming me because we, we laughed about it. Um, so mistakes do happen. Mm -hmm. The like skill is life. getting yourself out of them. Yes. Mm. Yes. Life lesson, not just a craft lesson. Mm. Absolutely. So there's a lot of things in upholstery actually that and and trades that are life lessons that I relate to. We're talking about crafts and crafts. I could talk we about it We all should day. just say, if anybody hasn't seen the show, you can find it on BBC iPlayer. Is where BBC iPlayer. There's a new series show. coming out. And then we start filming series, the next series at end of um, February, where somebody from the show is obviously going to write in for a Christmas item okay. for me as well, aren't they? Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 I think that's clear. That's Did that I get really that in? Clarifies yeah. it okay, now. good. Yeah. All right. So then talking about mistakes oh. and challenges, <gasps> oh, oh. I, I feel for you. When you shared this with us on the pre-interview, I felt for this moment. You did an interview Feeling like, cool, I'm just going to say my thing. It's going to come out. It's going to be fine. That, in fact, was not the case. Please tell us what happened in this whole situation. Yeah, I had a 15-minute interview about all sorts of glorious things. Um, and then the interviewer asked me about security at Repair Shop. And by this time... I had felt I felt super comfortable. Just a nice, friendly chat, nice, yeah. friendly person. And um, I said, "Oh, you know, it's in a rural location. Yeah, there's security because to stop people from taking pictures of things that we're working on outside. And you don't really, because it is rural. You don't always know that it's like a TV set. But if I was a fan of the show." Uh, it's questionable whether it was an accident to walk into the barn or not because I would want to walk into the barn too. And regrettably, uh, that was what the article was about. Um, the headline was something like, Security breach. Uh, I was um, devastated. Show. Devastated. Shot, you know, people wandering in and out of set. And Devastating. Yeah. Just from that little moment. Yeah, little... yeah. It makes me feel really hot now, just thinking about it. And I, I was, you yeah, got a call, just didn't you? I got a call about it, and it made me feel really sad because I thought I felt really misled. Yeah. But I wanted to share all this other good stuff that's happening in life and business, and um, and that's all they took. There's this. And that security. was all that they took. Yeah. Yeah, which is a lesson in a in, lesson in in um yeah when you get get into the spotlight and you have navigating the world yeah and realizing yeah whatever you say is yeah. going to be used and yeah you've got and to be careful what you it say. won't be verbatim no. it might just be a little tiny bit yeah which looks totally different to the intention yeah um so that was a massive devastating blow actually. What would you say to someone who has been invited to talk to the press about something? 
don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Simple, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say be uh, get a brief mm. if you can, and just be super selective. Um, but otherwise, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And don't feel you need to either. Mm. Um, unless you know specifically what the subjects are uh, that you're covering and that there's not a free reign. Um, and also, you know, people did know about that already. It's, uh, it's something that's already out there about, mm. you know, um, before the show was as big as it is. Um and don't be so naive and thinking that everybody's got your best intentions because they don't always. Um, and that's okay. But if you know that ahead of, the, uh, ahead of the game, then you kind of can prepare yourself better. Yeah. Let's talk about 2020. You, you kind of, sounds like you go through another um, period of, of, challenging oh yeah lockdown moments yes, right pandemic pandemic's an interesting you know it's an interesting um devastating time um and for me changed at from for everybody it changed everything and it's never going to be the same again what it changed for me was sort of uh, habits, maybe coping mechanisms, i.e. workaholism, workaholicism, what is the word? That work, go yeah. for it, workaholism. Uh, <laughs> definitely have been uh, addicted to work for sure, mm -hmm. uh, addicted to perfection. And when that was not an option, I, f I really struggled. Wow. Um, and um, so and what, the stress of it. And what was what were the so symptoms? I, I sort of found myself just being a really horrible person to be around, very short and snappy. And also it was the first time. And because I'd always been into sport and I found sport was a real coping mechanism too. And an excuse to not have to sit still and deal with anything else that may be a residue from childhood or past um and a way of punishing myself as well actually um through endurance events um but I actually I do love endurance events just a side note there but I was using it in the wrong way mm. um and so what do you do about this yeah I was struggling decision. a lot and I and because I had had the CBT and I had kind of gone on this, uh, I'd had coaching as well. Um, and that's kind of like therapy in a way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I had really found the benefit from it. I, I was starting to- What kind of coaching though? Like business coaching, personal development coaching, yeah. more personal development coaching to be honest, because my I've I think that if you can function as a person, you'll figure out the business stuff. So the person should come first and then the business. Mm. Um, so I've never done business coaching. Uh, maybe I should. Should have done maybe some media coaching. But anyway. <laughs> um, and 
I was starting to get really um, those control mechanisms back in my life again. Um, and, you know, work had been mega, mega busy too. And filming and all these things that I had chosen to do um, stopped. Hmm. And I thought, I say I thought... But a girlfriend said to me, uh, you've, you've not been right for a while, have you? I said, no, I haven't actually. Mm. Because I, I did something and she was, she said, what, what, is, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't know actually. She said, well, why are you doing that? Um, she said, actually, if I'm honest, you've not been right for about six to nine months. Do you feel that? I said, yeah, actually, if I'm honest. You're right. I said, I don't know what to do about it. She said, well, why don't you go back to therapy? I said, oh, my, that's a great idea. That's yeah. a great idea. Um, so that's what I did. And so this time it was different because there wasn't a traumatic event in that it wasn't a motorbike accident that happened to me as an individual. It was a global catastrophic event. Um, and... The business was in a good place. Uh, everything else, you know, had all the boxes ticked in my life. Um, so I went on to the, um, is it the British Association of, I think, Counselling and Psychotherapy? Okay. B-A-C-P? Yeah. And you can put in there what kind of therapy uh, specialisms you might be looking for. Um, so I put in a, quite a few actually. And um, and all these people came. And then the radius and all that kind of stuff. So I found three people that I interviewed. Uh, not interviewed, but had a quick chat with. Um, and then I ended up basically committing to this one lady. And one of the best decisions I've ever made for Why? myself. One of the best investments I've made in myself it changed my life totally, totally, and still continues to do so. Why do you say that? Starting, I was so hungry to get to Sunseekers as a 17-year-old. From that moment until I left to start the business, I was then hungry again to make the business work. Mm -hmm. And all I had focused on for 20 years was getting to a place in life where I could afford the things I wanted and be whoever I wanted to be. No, not whoever I wanted to be as a, as, as in um, I could do whatever I wanted to do in my life and do the job that I wanted to do in my life. Mm. So up until that point, I had just focused on work, focused on sport, focused on going to Brazil kite surfing, mm -hmm. and I'd never really taken any time for myself. Right. Although I had done a bit of coaching and a bit of this and a bit of that, I still felt like I was just dipping my, t not fully committing to it. Yeah, It was helpful and got me to where I needed to be so that I could remain in control, but I wasn't delving really deep. Mm. But when, so she's a she's a psychotherapist, but also um, a coach, also a few other skills. So it was kind of mixed into one. Mm. And the tools that I got from her in terms of 
dealing with emotions, not catastrophizing, and actually bringing more logic to um, a situation, even just like naming emotions. Um, that helps, does it? So good. So what, what's so the process? Well, can so someone, how can it, someone learn this? Sorry? How can someone learn so to do this? So there's a... Um, she gave me like um, this emotion wheel mm. and it's basically cut up into different pie sections mm. and then a certain type of emotion broken down into lots of different words mm. relating to that emotion, uh, the overall kind of arching of yeah, it. I think I've got a, pi a picture of that. Yeah. Oh, good. We'll let's find let's put it on the episode. So good, so you good. You can watch on YouTube and Spotify if anyone doesn't know. And if, say, it's you're feeling really angry, but actually, is it betrayal? Mm. Is it regret? Is it something else? And so when you really start pinpointing the emotion, um, what it taught me was then you could really start dealing with it. So what, that was one thing. And what does that mean when you... So you can really start dealing with it. That was, so oh, if you work out... Dealing with it, yeah. What it's, you work out it's... Um, betrayal or whatever yeah so then what do you, you so we would um so i would come prepared to a session um and then we would talk through the event and actually she had given me this like event diary and um so we would you'd write down the event how it affected you and then you'd work all the way through to the end uh, and you take that to the session and say, she say, well, what happened this week? I say, well, this happened. And then this person said this. And then I did this. This is the result. I think these are the things that I was doing. Catastrophizing, overreacting, blah, 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 blah. What's catastrophizing? So uh, every, so if say, um, my client was going to pay their invoice on Friday. They didn't. This is a very, this is not what happened to me, but as an mm. they're never going to pay the invoice. I'm never going to hear from them again. Mm. They're never going to come back to me for any work. That's it. I'm not going to get another client. It's obviously something that I've done and I've said or done something to um, cause them to not like me or, and it can. Wow, these are all the things people think of where just one moment happens and they yes. make it a catastrophe. Yes, yeah. So right. um, I didn't go for a run, so I'm not going to be fit enough to do the 10K. I'm probably going to, you know, um, put on weight. Oh, and I had that chocolate. Oh, and, and, and I'm not going to fit into the new gym clothes that I've bought. I'm going to look a certain way that I don't want to look. And because I didn't and go so, for running on Friday, I'm not going to go on Saturday. And then, and then you get into gonna, this doom yes. cycle. Yeah. Okay. But you can use that for anything. So what it, it gave me, not just sort of empathy for myself, but empathy for other people. Mm. Because before then, I wouldn't really suffer fools, fools gladly. That's the saying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But I kind of was starting to soften in my... Uh, sort of in the, in the last sort of seven years, but certainly um, after these sessions of um, therapy, uh, it ge it gave me a new appreciation for other people's emotions as well as mine, yeah. and how I affect other people unknowingly, and how 
other people affect me and they don't know and how I receive it and why I receive it in that way and why I've interpreted it in a certain way, but it's not actually that. That's not what they meant. Mm. They didn't mean to say that to offend you. They might just not have had the vocabulary or positive self-talk. I've had more weekends off since I've had therapy than ever before since I worked, you know, had the business. You know, just have a Saturday off. If you're not, you know, don't burn yourself out. Why are you doing that to yourself? And that self-talk. And also, I tell you one of the things that I felt really was powerful and definitely for someone to do this with a professional was actually to go back at any time of your life. And it could be even, you know, last month and reimagine the scenario, but you as a, a nurturing person coming in and like giving yourself a hug and saying, actually, mm. do you know what? It's going to be all right. Being the person that you needed at that time yeah but in your own brain mm, yeah, and yeah. i physically felt the neurons connecting in my brain uh and physically felt i, I was exhausted after some sessions and sometimes i'd sleep for like 12 hours uh, on a weekend just because i i felt it was really changing my brain for sure um and then it has a positive effect it you know ripples out to the rest of your life wow. um so i would encourage you know implore anybody who who even might kind of be curious you really have got nothing to lose but you've got everything to gain mm. and it's worth the bet to do it by getting a coach or a therapist a coach or a therapist yeah. or yeah. we used to um my girlfriends and I, we used to sea swim together and then we'd go around each other's house afterwards and we'd take it in turns to um host yeah. Uh, and sea swimming was on a Tuesday night. So we called it Tuesday night dinners. And it was just girls together. Before our lives changed, one moved away, then everybody had kids and all the rest of it. And every Tuesday, more or less, um, we would have dinner together. And then when we stopped swimming, we'd still meet up for dinner, Tuesday night dinners. And so it's that council of people around you who are... Care, who care for you, who want to listen to you without judgment, who you can share things uh, and be vulnerable with. Um, and through that process, heal yourself and the people around you as well. Mm, yeah. um, so it's, it's, it's fine. It's a bit of a community, isn't it, thing? Mm. And also I used to think, I've got this. I'm all right, I can do it, um, I'll lead. But actually, there's an African proverb, isn't there, that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And so much better to go together than to go alone. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, so much in what you just shared there, and even like, Charles and myself, we've been working together for 10 years now. Have you? And Lovely. Having that open communication is so important. Yeah. To like give each other feedback. Right. Whether it's, you know, whether it's like nice or a bit more reflective, just giving it. Mm. And then it helps us both move forward so that there's never any, there's never ever a stone unturned. Right. Because those unturned stones then become, they can become quite heavy, right? Mm -hmm. They drops, they can become rocks, boulders, mountains. Right. In time. Yes. I think it's really important 
where you have relationships where you can have that, even if it's with yourself 100%. first to have that kind of, how did I take that? Or, you know, am I, is that really how I should have done that? Did mm -hmm. I handle that well to then going out of the world and saying, you know, maybe I feel like I said this to you in a way that maybe I shouldn't and right. kind of reflecting on things. It makes your world and other people's world so much better, mm -hmm. you know, because you're dealing with things as opposed to just kind of letting them fester and become right. bigger problems. And, and that's a skill, right? Yeah. To actually be able to inquire with one another openly mm. from a place of love. Yes, It might hurt a little bit, mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you worked with me when I first started my business, you'd have been like, who the hell is this bitch? You know, she is, I'm acting like the head of Apple, but I'm, you know, two people, three people in a workshop. You know, I, I, my approach and my whole being, I had no empathy for where they were and that they just needed a job. But I was like, you need to be as invested in this as I am. Um, <laughs> So that's just one example, let alone the personal, um, other personal relationships. But to be, if somebody had said to me, I think you're being a bit overbearing, I'd have been like, how dare you? Mm. Over this is passion. Mm. Um, so to, to develop the inquiring mind and the inquiring sort of soft language with the people around you, and iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? Mm. You know, you want it for yourself, but you want it for the others to rise together to be great together um and that's the gift of getting older as well i think but also if you're able to you know go through um coaching or therapy or you know whatever it is those are the sorts of tools that you end up building i think this is a, a lovely note to to end on and we could be here um, all week we could for the weekend let's yes. i just want to briefly touch on the fact that you you did um well in 2022 you bought your own home oh. this is the milestone hashtag home yeah. hey home yes <laughs> and yes. in 2023 you signed your first book deal i did which you're currently writing i you've written finished writing although it i'm tweaking it and actually adding to it as we speak and then on Monday and Tuesday, which is yes, um, on Monday and Tuesday, I've got the shoot. Yeah. So uh, as somebody who dropped, you know, if you'd have told me uh, one day you'll write a book, uh, I would have got <laughs> As someone who okay. struggled with dyslexia. Dyslexia, writing, yeah. or even just attention span um, and finishing stuff. You know, apart from upholstery, there's, I leave a lot of things open and unfinished. I'm a great starter. Um, I wouldn't have believed you. And actually, the uh, publishers, they had sort of approached and said, oh, we've, we've wanted to do an upholstery book for a long time, but hadn't found the right person. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure you still haven't found the right person. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm the girl for you. Imposter um, syndrome. Yes. Yeah. And also, yeah, definitely imposter syndrome. Um, well, what what is the book going to be? Oh yeah, so what is it? So it's um, it's a twenty five, around about that number. How to pro, pro It's a twenty five project, how to book. So there are twenty five projects in this book that people could do themselves at home. So it's a beginner's guide. Oh, cool. Do so, they have to have anything already to do these things? For so, some of them, some not. I guess. Totally, totally. 
step-by-step, minutiae detail, of course, because that's all I know how to do. Um, to make what kind of things? You could make... Can you give a us a preview of what some of these You could make a could variety be? of different scatter cushions if you did so wish Scatter cushions, okay. Um, you could make a, a beautiful headboard for your own bed if you wanted cool. to. You could make a slip cover for that bed. You could make um, drop-in dining seats, footstools, upholstered coffee table. Um, Imagine that, making your own coffee yes. table. Yes. Cool. So it's a whole thing. Um, if you look it up, it's fair, very chic. Mm. So a big square or rectangular, a bit like this, but a beautiful fabric. And then dressing that, you know, with a tray and some books and wow. beautiful things. Um, footstools. Um, so when can people get this book? This isn't. Out do you know what? I actually while. don't know. Mm-hmm. I think maybe mid this year or in time for Christmas this year. Okay. Um, it's very vague as to when, which is not good selling. Well, the, but the, I guess the point is, people people go to Instagram or wherever or social media. They or can my go to newsletter. Yeah, we'll talk about and it at some point on the newsletter. Find out. Um, yes, and of course, you know, just to promised myself I would make sure that I just said that it's you know it's easy to look at people and think oh my god you have done so amazing with your life and it's all you but actually I am standing on the shoulders of everybody who's helped me to get into this chair here right now in front of you um I've had so much help free help support and so many people encouraging me on and checking in on me and making sure I'm okay um so although yes I've actioned everything and you know some of it's been reluctant and because I've been scared but I've had so many people encourage me and push me actually really push me um I don't think I would necessarily done quite, you know, quite as well if I hadn't had them as a support. Mm. So it. it's, it's having that network around you too. Well, I think that's so. We like to. I'll do a little summary of what I think people can learn from your story. Then Ash will share a final poem that he's been writing as we do this. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that. Oh, you're ready already. Okay. Um, Beautiful. So I think if somebody wants to turn their passion into their career and their life and their living. Uh, one, you, you from your story, it seems like you really do need to have that determination because mm. things will come up that will block you or stop you or put doubt in your mind or other opportunities like the other job with the other yeah. person might come up and you've just got to be like, no, I'm going in this direction yes. and this is how I'm going to make it happen. And, yeah. and being, you were, but you also, you were pragmatic and careful and, and had good planning that you had, you did your, your restaurant working That's and right. you know fi- found a way to earn some money mm-hmm. while setting this up and um and so yeah determination but a plan and um and then just yeah being able to delve into the unknown is is that first step and once you make that first step it it is a little easier to make the next one and then it's a little Baby easier steps. to make the next one exactly and i used to say to myself if I'm half a percent better today than I was yesterday, in 360 or six, 700 and, 720 days, so in a couple of years, I'll be 100% better than I was then. Mm-hmm. So just literally breaking it down, tiny, tiny, tiny. 
and some days if I'm having a bad day I think if uh, if I just replied to that email today that's one percent more than I did yesterday mm. well I think if it's half half a percent a day in 200 days that's so is it half a percent a day then you're, whatever then that you're, works then out you're to 100%. be I don't do so 720 yet. you're like 300 <laughs> is it yeah you're oh, laughing by that. you're 300 percent yeah. better baby how that's much is that percentage time. yeah see plus 300 get your mass get your percentages it doesn't right. matter <laughs> the, 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 principle the principle is that there. half yeah. a percent a day is half enough. a percent a day it, it. you can do that yeah. yeah, and it's yeah, okay yeah. to have a bad day it's okay. and go, this is just a bad day. Yeah. Let me go to bed tonight and yeah. tomorrow's Sleep a new one and everything's going to be it's all good. Be, uh, Gravy. Be better. Yeah. Um, so I love that. And and the final point about asking people for help, you know, oh, yeah. is, is really instrumental. Massive. Massive, yeah. Love that. I think my reflections are the importance of taking leaps. Mm-hmm. First one being the apprenticeship in getting that. Right. You know, the second will later on then seeing that barn and saying, yep, I'll have mm-hmm. it and just making it work. Right. And then being faced with, do you want to join this TV show? And being like, mm, I'll have a look. And now look, 300 episodes later. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that's that's one of the most important things that kind of hit me about your story today. Mm. There's one last thing I want to get in there before we stop is that the fact that there's there's the craft association is that the full the title heritage heritage, heritage craft, Associ- craft association yes. right which is there to kind of it's like you almost you, you described to us that there are crafts in the country that that they have like a, a color coding red on the red, red list endangered it's the like red list. endangered animals but they're right. crafts and yes. you said there's only one in some things there's only mm-hmm. one person in the mm. uk that's left who can do this thing yes so it's important to teach other people and to, to, to keep that going. Mm-hmm. Um, and you 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 came up with the idea with them to, to sponsor the uh, Heritage Craft Association Award. So, for, so the Young printing. Crafts Person of the Year. That's it. Yeah. So uh, what year are we in now? 2023, 2022. It was either at the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022 uh, where I was at one of their award ceremonies and I said, where is your, you know, do you do a young craftsperson of the year award or young upholsterer of the year? Because I would sponsor that if you did. He said, no, we we don't. I said, well, I'll, I'll I think that would be a great idea. Um, and I would sponsor the young upholsterer of the year. And that word went out and it turned into five or six for the first year, um, pretty prestigious awards uh, for young upholsterer of the year, uh, one young woodworker of the year, and a few others. And Amazing. now uh, we we had the award ceremony in November of last year at Windsor Castle, and it will be a year-on-year award. Amazing. Excellent. For young people getting into the trade. Because it's so hard. Apprenticeships aren't what they used to be. The funding's not really there. And it's something that changed your life, an apprenticeship. And it changed my life. So it will change somebody else's life too. Which is the whole concept of paying it forward. Right. Totally paying it forward. Yeah. And encouraging. And that's what I needed and still need actually time to time is that encouragement to to say, you're on on track. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Mm. Love that. Okay, now for the final poem. Okay, here is the final (laughs) poem. (laughs) A mother's blessing, changing the path of a young and inspired sonnet. 
finding her way into apprenticeships through being determined to make her future ideal and not bad. If you follow your dream, your location could be the next scene for people to socialise and flourish. A great example of how life's experiences can set the right stage for yours and others' restoration passions to be nourished. Navigation is key, whether on land or on sea. Oh, how life can take you on journeys less travelled. Some lessons are smooth, others teach us to improve, and others can switch and leave us feeling kind of unravelled. Mistakes can and will happen in life's woven pattern. How you see them is up to your thoughts and your actions. There may be a bit of luck as you move on way up, but the help around us is how the real success happens. Nice. So good. Thank you for joining us. So good. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having (laughs) me. What a beautiful end. So nice. Thank you so much. You get a poem on a rug. (gasps) Oh, get a poem on a rug. House of Sonas, baby. <laughs> House of there Sonas. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. <That's> it. <laughs> oh, that was so cool. You can buy a poem. On... Anyway, that was the story of how you mm. became uh, the founder of House of Sonas mm-hmm. and a uh, TV presenter. Uh, with some many more exciting things to come. I know there's lots to come in your in your life. So, um, yeah, you can follow and find out more um, as it unveils. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you Thanks so much. Us. Thank you Thank for you. having me.